Foreplay. Foreplay. With Pierce McCarthy. Let's talk about the four songs that you wrote that are most personal to you. Foreplay. Hey there, folks, and you're very welcome to episode 18 of Foreplay. My guest this week is part of a trio whose material straddles the boundaries of contemporary folk and roots. They are lauded by many Irish legends, such as Christy Moore, Sharon Shannon and Ron Sexsmith, to name but a few. Officially formed in 2013, this group have been heard on many radios across the country, as well as wooing the President of Ireland in the gorgeous Abbey Theatre. My virtual journey this week takes me to beautiful West Cork once again, where I'm delighted to be joined by Mary Green of Greenshine. Hey Mary, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. And you're very welcome to this episode of Foreplay. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much. I've been following the series and really enjoying it. That's lovely to hear. So how have Greenshine (laughs) been coping with the last 12 months with the world the way it is? We've been doing okay. We're very lucky, really. You know, um, myself and Noel are out in West Muskery, out beyond McCroom. We have plenty of space. We have our little studio. Yeah. We're off and on working away. You get a bit fed up at times. You wouldn't feel like doing anything. You're looking at the rest of the world and they all, they all seem to be doing stuff mm. and getting busy and getting creative. And you go through patches and you think, no, I'll go for Netflix, you know. <laughs> you know, it comes in waves and you, you try to keep doing stuff and working a little bit with other people at the moment. I'm working with Martin Leahy, who's a great friend of ours, does all our drumming, okay. um, was the producer of Carmichael Cueve's album that came out recently. So I've been writing with him. He's got a single coming out of the song we wrote together. Okay. Who else then? I've been, I was working with Hank Waddell. I was working with Declan Sinnott. And now at the moment, I'm doing harmonies for a man called Tommy Hughes through a man called Eamon Mulderig, okay. who is a member of Vickers Vimy, who's a fantastic band from Mayo. So a lot of it we're trying to do remotely and that brings technical difficulties. But, you know, you find that there are ways around everything. Yeah. Ellie, then our daughter, our, one of our daughters, the one that's in the band, is living in Cork. We don't see her very often. And you do really, really miss that. Mm. We got together recently we were able to go in to the White Horse in Balancholic, who did a series of fantastic gigs called Songlines, and they're up on YouTube now. whole series, uh, Mick Flannery was one of them, Kermit O'Keefe, Martin Leahy, and the whole raft. So we got to meet each other. Oh, cool. How was that? Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable, because there's the three of us, and when we sing together on stage, it creates a certain... I don't know what you'd call it. It's it's like a a wavelength or a frequency or something that's hit mm. when people who are family sing together. I don't know what that is. You can't beat sibling harmonies. I I, I constantly go on about it. Yeah. I don't know. Is it? It's just the most natural connection that can't be found anywhere else. It is, and I really don't know what it is. And I I know there must be some kind of a, a like a physical frequency thing. Mm. That I don't know if anyone has ever done any study, but it's definitely something different. So I remember like for the Cork Folk Festival in October, there was a little tiny window where people were allowed to put on gigs. And we did two gigs on the same evening 
in the Triscoll Arts Centre, the Christ Church. And I swear to God, we were just grinning, grinning, grinning. We couldn't get over ourselves. <laughs> you know, you really do miss that closeness and mm. you miss the sound of these people next to you rowing in on what you're doing, you know. Mm. But listen, we're very lucky. None of us has been ill. We're all relatively happy. We're getting on with it. And our other daughter, Sadie, is doing really well in Cork as well. So hopefully we'll all meet up now when it calms down a bit again. Yeah, as I say, when the world gets better. <sighs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So I invited you on to the podcast this week, Mary, to talk about the four songs that you've written that are most personal to you. Now, the first one that you've chosen is the very, very beautiful, and a lot of the listeners will know this, The Girl in the Lavender Dress. Why did you choose this one? I chose this one for a few different reasons. I wrote it years and years ago. Ellie was only, I think, six or five, five or six when I wrote it. And I had just dropped herself and her sister to primary school and I was having a walk. And this line came into my head. The girl in the lavender dress is gathering flowers. I don't know where it came from. And it, it became a song about freedom and optimism and for a, a young mother, as I was at the time, it, it was it was helpful, you know, because myself and Noel had come from a life where we were very free to pick up and go. And, you know, and it, it does take an adjustment when you have children. Mm. You have to buckle down and there's a school run and all the rest of it. But this song was about freedom, mm. really. So I parked the song, did nothing with it. I did it. I did a, a very basic demo with Declan Sinnott years ago. And he said to me when we had recorded it, uh, just me and the guitar, and he said, that song means a lot to you. And it was the first time I realised, I thought, well, it, yeah, it does actually. And I couldn't figure out why. But years and years later then, when we were making our second album with Greenshine and we were looking for songs for Ellie, and I ran through a few with her and I said, what do you think of this one? And I played it to her and she said, yeah, that one, I'll do that one. And it was such a loaded thing to get this song that meant so much to me. And then to have my own daughter, who's an amazing singer, to do it. And, you know, it just, it blew my mind. And it, it, it kind of opened up a lot of doors for us as well. It really kind of brought us to uh, to, to the attention of people in Ireland, especially in Radioland. Mm-hmm. And it went on to be the third most played Irish track of that year. And we did it at home here in our little studio, you know, and I mm-hmm. couldn't believe it that it would gather such legs, you know. Yeah. Will we have a listen to the first song, so that you've chosen? Why not? Okay. So this is Greenshine. And Mary is my guest this week. And this is the first song that she's chosen. It's called The Girl in the Lavender Dress. Start to move 
be an amazing feeling as a mother and a songwriter that you write this song when your, your, your little girl is just a wee baby and then all these years later she's singing it on your album. It's unbelievable really and I couldn't get over it when it happened really you know because well it just it just goes to show that the song was still relevant mm. you know mm. like 20 years later the song was still relevant and that said a lot to me and I must mention the beautiful string playing there of Ethna Willis, who did violin <laughs> and viola on that track and has done so on several of our recordings. Yeah, I mean, it's a song that has everything. And I mean, there's these little parts in it where, I don't know if it's ukulele that comes through our... our, our um, mandolin, the, I'd mandolin, say. Yeah, and it's yes, just, it's just, you don't expect it. It just comes through and it's and it's gone again and... You know, it's nearly like less is more sometimes. Yeah, little tinkly things. We we like to do that when we're recording. We like to bring in little tiny surprises, especially in headphones. You mm. can you can hear them, and we have great fun doing stuff like that here. You know. And when you're writing a song, you alluded to it earlier that you, you wrote that on acoustic guitar. But when you wrote that, did you know that you wanted all these little ditty things thrown in as well, or was that something that kind of came to you in studio? I suppose all my life I've listened to all kinds of music, you know, mm. every type you can imagine. 
And I, when I started to write songs, some of them I could hear strings on them. You know, I could hear it in my head. I'd love to hear strings on this. And then, I, you know, when you have a little studio, which it's it's a very modest studio we have here, you know, but when you have it and you have a keyboard set up and you have a couple of guitars, you have an electric and you have, a, you know, a bass and a mandolin, whatever is there, a concertina even stuck there somewhere. And you have no time pressure. You can add all these little spices to things and you can take them off if you don't like them, you know. You can replace them with other things. You can try all sorts of things. And that is the way we record. Usually I might have a, you know, a plan in my head for the general direction, the general instrumentation. And we'd lay it down and then I'd say, well, what about this? And Noel would say, well, what about this? And, you know. <laughs> We just it's, we just have as much fun as we can in the studio, you know. Yeah, with a family unit playing together, music must literally consume a lot of your lives, does it, in a positive way? It does, yeah. I mean, I, especially during lockdown, it has really come home to me the importance of music, not just to musicians, but to everybody, mm. to absolutely everybody. And I just found myself getting more and more into music in the way I was into music as a teenager, mm. where I would sit for hours listening to music. And that all came back during lockdown. I'm fortunate enough that I have an old enough car that I still have a CD player in the car. <laughs> <laughs> There's a silver lining in everything. Too right. <laughs> and I've been listening to, uh, well, I've, I've, you know, since I started driving, that's where I do most of my listening is in the car, you know. Yeah. It's um, your private little space, is it? Yeah, with a very, very good car stereo. And that's where we listen to our mixes when we're recording. We bring them out there. We listen. And if there's too much bass, we can hear it. Too much treble, we can hear it. And I, I don't know what I would do without music, you know. Mm. I really don't know what I would do without it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are like that as well, you know. And I think especially, too, over the last year, you know, I mean, we, we, we live in a world and we live in a society where we have so much and we have lots of so much. And mm. in the last year, we've kind of been brought back to our basics. And the real important things, I think, are the things that have come to the fore. And for a lot yeah. of people, the arts, be it yeah. if you're a songwriter or if you're just somebody who loves music, the importance of, as I always refer to music, it's medicine for modern living. And and I think people have realised that. I think they have. Yeah, I really do think they have. So much so, and it's so important to people's mental health that even the government have gotten on board now. Mm. And they're allowing people to run gigs privately for the public, if you know what I mean. Mm. That, you know, the, the initiative of the music venue Collective, I think they're called. Like we've done several for those. We did one for Collins and we did one for the White Horse. Mm. Because even the government has realised that people need the arts. They won't have any kind of chance of being optimistic and positive, mm. that they're going to need the arts. And the music is just unbelievably important to people, you know. And it, I think the lockdown as well has really, as you say, brought us back to basics what are the most important things in our life mm. who are the people we want to get together with when we're allowed meet 
two more people. Mm. You know, what are the most important things? Like, is it money? No, it's not money because we can't go out and spend money really at this time. So you're, you're really brought back inwards. And I think we're looking at the things that are absolutely fundamentally important to us, you know? Yeah. And I mean, a good song always stands the test of time. And as you said, you wrote that song so many years ago and it was still relevant then when you guys went to record it. And I think there's even some lyrics that are very, very relevant to the situation that we're living in. And the few that kind of stuck out to me is she wants to believe the world wants to be kind because I always maintain that what I think the world needs is just for everybody Mm. to be a little kinder to each other. And I think during this, especially at the start, we were all in it together. People were very yes. much looking out for each other. And, and I think now a year on, COVID fatigue has kicked in and people are, seem to be giving out and whinging and moaning a lot more. And I can understand why. We've been a year in this. But that line, it just resonated. You know, she wants to believe the world wants to be kind. You know, we want to see the best in people. Well, I, I think that the vast, vast majority of people in the whole wild, wide world, in their essence, are kind people. Mm. I really believe that. There are some gobshites, you know, don't get me wrong. There are gobshites everywhere. Mm. But they're in the penny halfpenny place to the people who are kind, ordinary people who, when faced with a human being in front of them, they want to be kind to them. Mm. And I think when when unkindness creeps in, is when fear comes in. Mm. What I mean by that is I think it's fear that makes people be unkind mm. to one another, really. Mm. It's fear, it's anxiety, occasionally tiredness, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be rude to someone when you're tired. But, like, basically, I think people want to be kind and, and people are kind, mm. basically, mm. At, the, at, the, at the very basic level of humanity is kindness, I believe. That's yeah. my belief. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think... Because we live in a world where there's so much of everything on offer, that that can sometimes muddy those waters of kindness. Definitely. And there's a lot to be said for being content, you know, for feeling content Mm. and satisfied with where you are and what you have. That's not to say that people shouldn't have dreams and go after their dreams. But if your dream is to make money, it's a very poor dream because you'll never have enough and you'll never make enough money because it's the goalposts are moving all the time. Mm. I have a million. I want 10 million. But like if your dream is to create a lovely family or, you know, create a painting that would bring somebody pleasure or to go on to study if you if you've no money and you want to go on to study that you, something that you passionately believe in their dreams worth pursuing Mm. but like to be content in every step of the way along in as much as you can be of course there are people in horrible situations who can't be content and shouldn't be content either Mm. you know Mm. there are boundaries you know to what you should put up with yeah but at the end of the day i think there's an old song that we sing sometimes and it's called satisfied mind it's an old bluegrass song and that really says it all, you know, that you're, you have everything if you have a satisfied mind, if you're not always striving towards the next thing. Yeah. And there's actually, there's a beautiful lyric as well in this song. She's got a backpack of wishes. She's ready to go. 
That's just, yeah. when I heard that, it was like, yeah, oh, wow. And the thing is, no matter what vintage we are in our age and in our life, I think it's very important that we always have that backpack of wishes. Yeah, I think so. And it was all, it was also like a throwback to the time when myself and Noel, and indeed way before I met Noel, I was always a very independent young woman. And I, I spent a lot of my time with my thumb out on the road as a teenager, thumbing God knows where. And I would throw a backpack on my back yeah. and I would thumb to Dublin from Dunmore East in Waterford, or I would thumb to Galway to see my brother from Dunmore East. And yeah. it, so it was this, it was like the, the backpack of wishes was like a symbol for freedom yeah. as well. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I remember being my late teens, my early 20s and yeah, we used to have friends in, in Kerry. So you'd head mm. out by the county hall and stick your thumb out. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you might get two lifts that would take you all the way. Other times it would take four. But the thing that I loved about it is you got to meet new people and you got to chat with them. And then that was it. They dropped you and on you went with your journey. And then you met somebody else. And and the funny thing was, we never, ever, ever came across any creepy or shady kind of characters. We were always lucky that... We just met you're, cool people. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky. I came across them. I really did. <laughs> did I came you? across them. But I, I think, you know, my my family were always, uh, we always had boundaries mm. and we always kicked off if, <laughs> if boundaries were encroached upon too much. And yeah. I had to put a few guys in their place along the road. Luckily, I got away with it and I managed it and, you know, I softened their cough for them. Yeah. But at the same time, you couldn't do that now. No. I, I, there's no way I would leave my gals out on the road with their thumb out now. Like. Yeah, yeah. Now, and as you said, you were brought up with a set of values. And are they the values that you found that you've passed on to your kids? The boundaries and values in life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever the girls are going out, <laughs> I'd always say the very same thing to them. I'd say, watch your drink and to the toilet in threes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, or, or twos, depending on how many were going out. And, and you know, they'd say, ah, Jesus, ma'am, you know. And I'd say, come on, come on, what is it? Watch your drink and, and they'd say, Toilet in threes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that that's like a, a funny instance of it. But, I, you know, I, I always believe that, you know, you do your best. Nobody's a perfect parent and you do your best. And God knows I made mistakes along the way. But at the end of the day, I think you tell your children what you believe are the important things to be. Be a decent human being. Be kind above all else above all else, to be kind, to be respectful of people, to look after yourself and also don't let anyone do or say anything to you that's beyond your boundary mm. and to know the difference and to not be too kind to somebody who's being unkind to you. And and like you, you plant those seeds, right? And, you know, in the teen years, they might say, go away idiot you know whatever but at the end of the day they've got ears and things like that go in and whatever you're telling your children they go in and they stay there somewhere mm. and hopefully the good things are the things that they will pull out when they need them yeah 
hopefully they'll let the bad things slide, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice. Now, the second song that you have chosen is The Very Beautiful City of Dreams. Why did you choose this one? City of Dreams. I chose this one. Well, I'll tell you a bit about it first. Yeah. I was fascinated by the life and death of Kurt Cobain. And at the time when I wrote that song, I was listening to a lot of, of Nirvana and watching them, you know, like the, that amazing unplugged concert oh, that they did. And MTV. Just, it's one of the greatest, oh, isn't it? Absolutely. It was a landmark. It was brilliant. And I couldn't get over, like, and I think a lot of people are, well, women especially, <laughs> and maybe lads too, a lot of lads. You know, you look at this angelic face that Kurt Cobain had and underneath that, the pain that was in that lad's heart, you know, it was just, it was heartbreaking. Anyway, first of all, I came across an interview in The Examiner that Des O'Driscoll did with Desi Blair. Do you remember Desi Blair? He was a promoter in Cork City. He, he like he booked a lot of the bands now in Henry's. Okay, okay. But he was into all kinds of music. He got myself and Noel a few gigs back in the day and he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He died very young. But the, the, the interview was gas anyway. It was it was about the time that Kurt Cobain and Nirvana came to play in Henry's in 1991. And they hadn't an arse in their trousers. They were hungry, they were wrecked, they were cold was another thing, they were freezing and uh, Desi was telling this you know, story about and the lads were there and he said I knew they were starving and I was looking at him and I said oh Jesus look go down the road there to whatever restaurant it was, I can't remember I said get a dinner for yourselves, I just want the receipt bring me back the receipt okay and get whatever you want the receipt came back anyway and the lads were after getting a round of nachos and four bottles of red wine. <laughs> that's what they got for their dinner, right? So I thought, Jesus, that's gas altogether. And I started to write the song. But as you do, you sit in front of the computer and I went from one thing to the next. And the next thing, I found this little clip of, it was an audio clip of Kurt Cobain speaking to somebody in NME. And he was talking about this trip to Cork and I couldn't get over it. I said, Jesus, he remembers that all the trips and he spoke about the effect that Cork had on him and he said he walked around Cork that afternoon this was just before they made it big because I think about six weeks after that gig is when everything exploded for them yeah and they had no idea that was going to happen he said he was walking around the town all the afternoon with his friend and he said he had tears in his eyes and he said he never felt more spiritual and he said that he investigated his roots and some of his roots led back to Cork. Wow. Now, he did do that, but I don't know if it was exactly accurate. There are people up the north claiming that his family came from the north of Ireland. But I didn't know that at the time. And I would never let the truth get in the way of a good song, you know. Mm. So all of a sudden, this funny song that I was writing about a young band developed into a song about the importance of having a sense of belonging and a sense of home and a sense of safety. And I thought the thrust of the song then became what would have happened if you'd stayed in Cork? 
you know, mm. would you have been healed? Would you have been filled up with because his his mother and father divorced at a very crucial point in his childhood, and he basically, I think, never got over that, mm. and it left him feeling very much adrift. And he was a very sensitive young fella, mm. and music became his family, I think, mm. but it still wasn't enough. And I think the most poignant thing that I came across when I was writing that song was apparently the last entry in his diary because he was a heroin addict, as we know. And he'd made several attempts to give it up. And the last diary entry was, please, God, help me kick this. And of course, it didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, just, I was just fascinated by him. And I thought, you know, God, I have to write this song. And it just it came out. And I also think that it was like, Technically, it was like a step up in my songwriting. That's what I, I felt. I felt I was really after hitting something. And when we went on to record it, I was very pleased with the production. So all those reasons are why I picked that song. Okay. I'm sorry for going on so long. <laughs> no, no, no. The beauty and what, what I love about this podcast and why I kind of decided to do it is I know the importance of songs to songwriters. It's like they're babies. And the beauty of a podcast is we don't have time constraints. So nobody's yeah. waffling on. You can't waffle on or talk too much <laughs> about the things, the things that you love the most. So the time is all yours. So we'll have a listen to City of Dreams and we'll come back and, and, and talk some more about it. This dead now your God knows Somewhere I hope you're happy anyhow Music of the gods Stars around your head The open arms, the final resting bed The darkness of the moon The embracing of the night Never going back Always pressing on Reaching of the end Finally belong Papers, lines The boy described Hungry, broke, introvert From the city of rain The port of missing men To the river called Lee And 
And I wonder what you might have found if you stayed on southern ground. Would your heart have found a home? Would two rivers full tide deep have fed your soul on Patrick Street? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not from Cork. I'm a Waterford girl. Almost Cork. Almost Cork. <laughs> <laughs> I was given my Cork passport by Mick Daly of uh, the Lee Valley String Band years ago. And he told me that I had an honorary passport for Cork. And I, I love Waterford. It's my hometown. But I tell you what, I felt like I was coming home when I came to Cork. And there's something about Cork and Cork people that they open their arms. You're, 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 you're welcome to Cork if you don't mess around with Cork. You know, if you, if you love Cork, if you, if you give it its respect as the real capital, you're welcome in Cork. And I, I think maybe that whether or not Kurt Cobain's family did originate in some part in Cork, I think he felt that welcome. Mm. You know, Cork is a very, very special place. And I know Cork people go on about it, but I go on about it too and I'm not from here. <laughs> it's funny, actually, when you said and you know, the Cork people go on about it and I felt like saying, yeah, don't they just... <laughs> 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 but I'm a proud Cork man so I, I, I can get away with saying that do you think if he had stayed here he would have found the inner peace he was looking for who knows who knows mm. you know you just never know I mean it must have like, been very hard for, for a guy who was all these things he was hungry he was broke he was introvert he was polite he was affected clearly by the breakup of his parents mm. as you said at such a crucial age and then here they are, they're broke, they come to Cork. Six weeks later, they're just thrown into the stratosphere of rock and roll stardom. The pressure of that for a young pressure guy of it. must have yeah. been just horrific. He mustn't have enjoyed any of it. If no, he, he just wanted to 
like I don't want to speak for him, but I think he just wanted to play his gigs. He probably didn't look beyond. They weren't the main act that night That's in Henry. Sonic, Sonic Youth, Youth were. were the main act. They're Dave Grohl's so favourite band. Do you know that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they probably or he probably didn't look beyond thinking, God, I wish it was us that filled this place, yeah. and and just going on from from gig to gig and getting a crowd and not feeling the pressure to pull a bigger arena full or whatever. But like, you know, you're, you're asking, would he have been saved for want of a better word if he had stayed in Cork? They do say no matter where you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. You know, so whatever problems he had where he originated, he would have brought those with him. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, maybe the same pressure wouldn't have been on him. Mm. We'll never know. Yeah, I hope he's happy now. That's you know the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you sometimes wonder, you know. I mean, he clearly had so much more to give musically. Yes, mm. all we're left is but what we got. Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's heartbreaking, really. Twenty-seven. I mean, he was twenty-seven years gone yesterday. I think. So he's gone nearly 30 years, you know. It's mad, isn't it? It's mad. And I'm like, oh, my God, to to think of the torment of him, you know, it's just, oh, I can't even, yeah. I can't even bear it, you know. Yeah. And for you growing up, what were your musical influences that kind of moulded you to go down the route you did musically? My musical, <laughs> I, I could, I could, uh, do, do you remember that, singles came with no middle. Mm. I mean, you say that to somebody, a, a youngster now, and they can't even envisage that, you know. But like from the age of three or four, I could take up a single, fit the middle to it and put it on the turntable and play it. And I, I used to do that all the time, like for hours on end as a kid. My mother and father went to the States in, I was born there. It's, I, they, they went in the 50s, the mid, mid early 50s. And they were the first generation, I believe, that left Ireland, that emigrated with, in Ireland with the express idea of coming back to Ireland again. Mm. Up to that, I think people went to, to America and knowing it was like the American wake, as they say, they, they left and they were never going to come back to Ireland again. My mother and father went to America with a plane load of people, a lot of them from Waterford, and most of them came back. So when they went, they went at a super time, right? They went there. It was the time of the Rat Pack, Cool, JFK. There was a lot of turbulence in America at that time, but there was a lot of great stuff. America was very cool. Mm at that point, you know. Mm. And one of the things they had was this old trunk when they came back and it was full of music, full of it. There was, I'd love to know where they are now because they'd be worth a lot of money. They had all the original Elvis singles. They had tons of old, like Tony Bennett albums, which I have here. So I was listening to Elvis. I was listening to Tony Bennett. I was listening to Roger Miller. I was listening to the Ballad of the Green Berets. <laughs> For some reason, they had that. They had the soundtrack to, I can't remember which musical it was, not West Side Story, but something like that. I was listening to this woman called Morgana King, 
And Morgana King, funnily enough, she was an amazing singer. She was classically trained, but she went into jazz and uh, she surfaced years later. She was one of the wives in The Godfather. Okay. I think she was the original wife in The Godfather. So I, I was listening to all sorts of things. And when, you know, when I got, and, and the funny thing about it is, I was almost deaf as a child. Really? Yeah. I was almost deaf as a child. I had to have a lot of operations to bring me to where I am now, which is about 65% hearing in one ear and about 30% in the other. So that's what I have at the moment. Okay. So if you if you ever go and see us, I always sit to the right of the other two because I have my good ear cocked to them acoustically and I have my we say deaf ear or it's not a deaf ear but it's my 30% ear. limited yeah I have that cocked to the PA so it's not drowning mm. my hearing out yeah so you do adapt but uh, the funny thing was I think what that taught me to do was listen very very acutely so that I could hear everything I could possibly hear but anyway we leave that later as I grew up then my brother Willie was a great influence on me. He brought amazing music into the house when he was a teenager. He was four years older than me. So I got to hear through his closed bedroom door because he would kill me if I went anywhere near him. He wanted his space as a teen, you know. Mm. But I would hear David Bowie. I would hear Cockney Rebel, Mark Boland, T-Rex. Oh, wow, well, yeah. All sorts of things. And then... When we, we moved to a bar in my teens uh, in Dunmore East, and it was a music bar, so there was lots of sessions there. So he started to bring in the, the, the first traditional album I ever heard, and it was fantastic, was Did Allen. And I mean, what a start. Jesus. So that opened up that door to me. The first traditional album I ever bought was The Bothy Band, Live in Paris. That was the first traditional album. So it was like everything. I had a, I had a, a very good friend in Dunmore East who was at that time one of the few ragtime guitarists in Ireland. So I was hearing a lot of Big Bill Brunsey from him and uh, Mississippi John Hart, Reverend Gary Davis. You name it. Yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and it's funny actually because you're going on about the Elvis singles. My dad's 81 and both my parents are still alive and I'm very lucky. Yeah. But my dad has an amazing record collection, which I've got around him that I'm going to inherit. But he's got El- <laughs> he's got Elvis 78 singles, Chubby Checker, Fats Domino, all these ranging back to the 50s. You know, The Sound of Music, the original LP from the movie, he has that. And my favourite thing in the world is dropping that needle onto a record, but when it's an old vintage record, the crackle even yeah. seems nicer than the modern you can really record. Taste you it. Yeah. 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 You know? Absolutely, yeah. One question I wanted to, ju- I just really wanted to allude to it. Ellie, her voice. Oh my goodness. And when she sings the line, hungry, broke, introvert, polite, there's an innocence. She conveys the innocence that Kurt Cobain really was. Yeah, I think so. I think the thing about Ellie singing, there's nothing stylized about her singing. She opens her mouth and it comes out. There's no kind of um, mannerisms. You know, there's no alluding to 
whatever the current fashion would be for singing styles. Mm. She doesn't do any of that stuff. She feels songs so deeply. It's unbelievable. And, and she has done since like the first recording we ever have of Ellie is of her singing Suspicious Minds when she was about three or four. And she was giving it all this and she was heartbroken and her marriage was breaking up and she was only like three or four, you know. And yeah, she she gets the essence of songs. Yeah. She gets, she hears them and she understands them and she interprets them completely naturally. And it's not taught. The only thing I would, you know, have taught her and we are still teaching each other and her is studio craft. Mm how to use a mic and live as well, how to use a mic, leave a bit of space so that you can go into the mic if you need a bit of volume on a certain part of your voice that might be as strong as other parts. Pull back when you're loud, you know, they're the only things that we teach Ellie, you know, and, and, and phrasing, you know, if you're, if you're singing a harmony in the studio, try to get your phrasing right. And, but apart from that, there's nothing has been taught to that woman, you know, mm. she just, she just gets it. You know? and, I, and I'm curious, as a family band, right, it's mom, it's dad, and it's daughter. When you get on stage, are those roles thrown out the window? Are you just a band then? To a certain extent, they're still there. If something's not going right on stage, do you give the mum look? <laughs> and oh, the no. goes right? Oh, God, no. No, God, no. No, never. Never. But um, <laughs> we, we're, we're, we're quite funny, you know, I, I I hope I'm right in saying that, but I think that we're quite funny live. Yeah. There's a lot of banter goes on. Yeah. There's a lot of little bit of slagging, but we have to do it respectfully because otherwise it's like, listen, don't say that to me again <laughs> on stage. <you> know? <laughs> but there is there's definitely a bit of banter goes on yeah. and we do crack up laughing on stage. But like there there is sometimes there's a kind of a comedy thing comes in where I say that little girl is getting tired now, so we're going to finish up tonight. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> you know, but no, there's never, we would never do anything like to undermine one another on stage yeah. or, or I would never come the heavy on stage or anything like that. So in that respect, we are a band. Yeah. And we are a, a very democratic band. If there's, if there's a song that we don't feel like doing, one of us just has to say, yeah, maybe not tonight. Or or if someone says, what about this? Well, we record this one. And, and if anyone says, I don't know about that, you know, yeah. everybody's opinion is law, really, in, in, in our band, man. You know? And, and, you, and you know what must be cool as well for, for yourself and Noel? When you're, you're playing a gig and Ellie is nailing the vocals oh, and, you, God, just, and yeah. you just look at each other and go, that's our girl. <laughs> It's like, and and it's it's not even that's our girl. It's like, Jesus, what a feckin' singer! Did yeah. you hear that? Yeah. You know, it's like you you kind of step outside yourself, yeah, because you're you're there as as your musician. You have your musician hat on you, like, yeah, of course. And like, it's like you're blown away by a vocal performance of this amazing singer. And and like, we would have the same reaction, like if Noel does something off the chart guitar playing solo wise or something it's like myself and Ellie go oh Jesus do you hear me man like it's yeah. amazing you know yeah but uh, I mean I think we are each other's biggest fans wow that's lovely you know what I mean yeah we really are you know there's no doubt about it and like in the same way 
when people join us on stage, like we recently we've had Martin Leahy join us on stage and it's like, oh, my God, Martin Leahy, what are you doing? That's amazing, you know. And it's just such a it's such a joy to play with people who who are good, you know, who know what they're doing and who are good. And there's never any kind of diva stuff. You know, yeah, no diva stuff. Well, with a family band, you don't get away with diva stuff. Anyway. Oh, no, God, no, no, no. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, the third song that you've chosen is the song Dandelion Seed. Why did you pick this one? I picked it for, again, for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons I picked it was, well, it's a song about, first of all, about the separation that we go through as we go through life, you know, you know, you have to separate from your parents. You have to separate from your brothers and sisters as you grow up. You have to separate from your children as they go out into the world. And I I wrote that it started out as an empty nest song because both my girls were gone from the house. Mm. And it was like maybe the first week they were gone. And it was like we, we had Ellie for a while when Sadie went to college. We, we still had Ellie. Then Ellie left. And it's like myself and Noel Shine looking at each other like, <laughs> what are we do now, you know? And I wrote the song uh, as a kind of a comfort to myself that no matter how far away from your family, and this is very relevant now, no matter how far away from your family you are, you're never really separated mm. because the love that you give one another goes with one another. And you always have that. It's like a hot water bottle inside in your heart. You know, Mm. you can carry it everywhere. Mm. But we were again looking for a song for Ellie to do. And I kind of floated that. And I said, what do you think of that? She said, yeah, yeah, like that. I'll do that. And I said, do you want to write a bit? Like, do you want to change any of it? I said, feel free now, you know, to make it more your own. So she said, yeah. I might have a look at it. So she had a look at it and I can't remember exactly the words. I think it's the second verse. A little soul's totally dependent. Just look at us now out in the world. It's all in front of us and we make them proud. That's what made it so funny, right? Because I wrote it, little souls, totally dependent. Just look at them now. We're so proud of them, right? And it was a bit cheesy, to be honest, right? She took that verse and she made it funny. You know, just look at us now. We're out in the world. It's all in front of us and we make them proud. And they raised us good, the best they could. Like, and it was almost like, Asher, God help us. They did the best they could. Like, yeah. And it, it, it gave it a different thrust. And it, it made me laugh, really, that verse when she came back. And it also so became the first song that Ellie wrote, to my knowledge. It was a co-write and it was the first song we ever wrote together. And I think it was the first song that Ellie ever put pen to paper on. So for that reason, it's very, very special. Okay. And we, we share the, the vocals on it as well. So it was like we shared the writing of it and we shared the vocals on it. I think we did anyway. I get mixed up. But anyway, basically, that's why. And I always find the song a bit of a comfort, to be honest, when the girls aren't here, especially now. Okay, so we'll have a listen to it, so shall we? Yeah. This is Dandelion Seed, the third song that Mary has chosen for this week's podcast. We are a family now. We're 
your family now. Somehow we got together, and it's forever now, and it's understood. It's understood. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. Little souls totally dependent. Just look at us now. Out in the It's all in front of us, and we make them proud. And they raised a school. They raised a school. The best they could. The best they could. As we make our way, day will follow day, and in our hearts we carry message of the song and what you had spoken about before the song about you know when you you gotta let them go and go out onto the world is as we make our way day will follow day and in our hearts we'll carry home yeah i really believe that Mm. you know i really believe that and even when you lose your loved ones i think that they're never truly gone you know i think that they're still in your heart Mm. you know yeah. Uh, hopefully, maybe even around sometime when you need them. Keep that in your mind. 
I think so. I, I've gone on a couple of ghost hunts with this ghost hunting group and they have a very kind of cool view of it is that we're all energy and energy never dies. Our body, which is the shell, may get a sell by date, but that the energy lives on. I've lost people through the years and I've had those signs and it's not, it's not me in my head imagining that this is how I want it to be. I actually believe they are close by. You know, I just don't think we can't see them, but I think we can feel them. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I've lost a few people. Well, this, this part is not funny, but uh, I have lost a few people in the yeah. past few years. All the men in my immediate family are gone. My father and my two brothers, oh, wow. they're all gone. But after my youngest brother died, it was so weird. Myself and my mother in particular, her in Waterford and me in Cork, started to experience stuff to do with electrics in the house. And there was this lamp that Jason had wired in Waterford for my mother. And all of a sudden, after he died, it started to give trouble. It would go off, it would go on. And, you know, she didn't think anything of it, but it happened several times. Like the, 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 the light would go off, then it would go on again. And about the same time, I, I have a picture of them up on a shelf in front of me. And I had these fairy lights around and the same thing started to happen. The fairy lights would, and it was only ever when I was in the room on my own. It was, it was so weird and so funny and not, not at all freaky. It was like, it's kind of comforting, it's comforting. Absolutely, it is. It is a comfort. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I was influencing the electrics with my head or something, but those things were happening, you know, and they weren't happening to any other lights in the house except the one around his picture. A lot of people won't believe in that. They might believe in it more if they lost people mm. that they missed mm. very deeply, but... I don't know, I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole thing, as you're saying, energy mm. and levels of energy. And I don't know what that is and I don't know if it exists really, but I have a feeling that it does in mm. some way, you know. Yeah, I have a similar story to you, actually. I was in a relationship with somebody 20 years ago and they, and they passed away. And I remember we just bought a house together. So prior to her passing away, she'd bought this gorgeous candle and it was a multicolored candle. And we had it on our fireplace, but we'd never lit it. So she passed away and maybe three, four weeks later, I always remember I was coming home from work one day and there was nobody else in the house. I mean, I'd left the house at half eight that morning to go to work. So it was about six o'clock when I got back. And I always remember walking down the road and it was a beautiful blue sky. It was September. And I was thinking to myself, oh, God, she loved this kind of, you know, this weather and an evening like this. And I was feeling really, I started to get really sad. And I remember I walked in home and the thing I always done when I walked in home is I opened the door and the first door that greeted me was the sitting room. So I would go into the sitting room and go through the double doors then into the kitchen. And I walked into the sitting room and the candle was lit. Uh, go away from me. I know, I'm kidding you now. <laughs> But not only, no, that's freaky. Not only that was, is freaky. <laughs> but not only was the candle lit, but there was no wet wax around it, so it had only just lit. And I remember standing there for a minute, and I was like, well, I blow this out? And then I kind of thought, no, I'm not going to blow this out, because she's here. Yeah. She's here. She's in here with me right now, and this is her letting me know, because I'd been getting sad looking at the, the weather that was there. It was her letting me know that it's okay, I'm here. I'm around. Just... 
That's amazing. Just, that's the God's honest truth that happened. And there was many other things like that happened, but that was one of the most striking ones that made yeah. me realise, you know, when you love somebody so much, they're not really gone. They're just in a different form now. Well, I have, I have one last story sure. to do with that. Yeah. My brother, when he died, was living somewhere else. He wasn't living at home with my dad, right? Mm. But my older brother was in the house with my dad looking after him because my father... No, hang on now a second. My father was gone at this stage. My brother, my older brother had come down to kind of nurse him and stuff from from County Clare. And, but he was also looking after Jay's dog, right, Milla. And the night that my, my father and my brother died within, I had to arrange two funerals in the space, space of a week and a half. Oh, my God. But the night that Jay died, Milla in my father's house, Willie was there with her and I don't know where I was gone. He said, all of a sudden, she just started howling howling, howling, as if she would never stop howling again. And we reckon that was when he died, that she knew she had such a connection with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I know there's a lot of people out there would probably go up the story I told, but that's what happened. Well, that's your truth, you know? know, It's a truth, exactly. Exactly. And you know what other line I think is so gorgeous in this? This love is ordinary, ordinary magic beans. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny when you're writing songs you bring in references that you didn't even realise you had and that was from Jack and the Beanstalk <laughs> <laughs> magic beans you know yeah. uh, and, and it's it's funny like all, all the different references that you bring in at, at the moment it kind of touched on it in City of Dreams I'm fascinated by space you know mm. I don't know why, but I'm fascinated by space. As in space, the final frontier or just actual physical space? (laughs) No, the final frontier. Okay. (laughs) And physical space. I like to have my space, like. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by what's out there. Mm. I don't really have a desire to get into a rocket and go there, but I'm fascinated by the final frontier. So a lot of songs recently, like even in Kurt Cobain's song, there's a lot about traveling out to the stars and beyond the moon and over to the dark side of the moon and keep going to get to the sun. But lately, a lot of my songs have space references in them, you know. Okay. And I'll tell you about that in a while for, for, for Major Rift. But like, you know, as kind of we say, we were born, a lot of us, not everybody, but by and large in Ireland, People are Christians or were born Christians or Catholics or Protestants, not practicing anymore, mm. maybe. But all those references, those biblical things, they're like, they're great fodder for songwriting, you know, <laughs> really, really good fodder for songwriting. Or the slang of gambling slang or card sharp kind of stuff. It's amazing, like from an old movie, something would pop into your head that you've seen in an old movie or something that Edward G. Robinson said, you know, you mm. dirty rat or whatever. And <laughs> it comes into your songwriting and you you don't even know that you have these things in there until you start writing, you know. Yeah. So that's where the magic beans came from. Ah, yeah, cool. I, I was wondering because when I read it, I was like, that's actually a cool lyric. It's just a cool <laughs> lyric. So the final song that you have picked is, is a newbie. Yeah. And it's called Major Rift. Why did you pick this one? And tell me a little bit about it. 
I didn't realise, but I had written this song last November. I was looking for, I, I made a little video recently, a little solo video of it. And I was looking for it on my phone and I was saying to you know, Jesus, the song has gone off my phone. I can't find the song. And I scrolled back and back and I realised that I hadn't written it this year. I wrote it last November. And I wrote it, as you were saying earlier, during the first lockdown, there was like such a feeling of community and community spirit and kindness and everybody looking after one another and the lads, the young lads in the GAA doing the shopping for people. And there was just so much going on that was so wonderful in the face of something that was absolutely horrendous. And we had no way of knowing even how much more horrendous it was going to become. And I think that is the problem. We managed the first lockdown. We were like the star pupils. We were, we loved one another. We were looking after one another. Second lockdown, not so much. And because of the business, you know, the music business that I'm in, I'm on social media a lot. And I was seeing such ugliness, mm. absolute ugliness and fear and unkindness. And as you say, perfectly understandable. But I didn't get why there had to be unkindness, you know, mm. and we're all in the same boat in that we're all dealing with the same reality. Mm. Some of us are dealing with it in a different way than I might be dealing with, with it. People have different beliefs surrounding it, but we really need to be kind to one another. And we really need to respect one another. And we really need to do our best to support one another. Hold on to what we believe ourselves, but there's no need to be trashing anybody else, mm. you know, at the same time. And I was saying like that, you know, there were a lot of space references recently <laughs> and there's an astronaut appears in the last verse. And the astronaut in my head is Chris Hadfield. Chris Hadfield put up pictures of Ireland from the space station and everybody was marvelling. There was another one up today, actually, and from the space station of Ireland, the big green teddy in the middle <laughs> of the Atlantic Ocean, you know. And he came into my head and I was thinking part of my thought process when I was writing the song was we all need a bit of distance. We need to step back from the computer keys. We need a bit of distance and we need to just chill out a little bit, be kind to one another and maybe not press send quite so often as we're doing on the keyboard. So the idea of distance was in my head and it was almost like I pulled out from the earth to get as much distance as possible. And Chris Hadfield came into my head. And so in the last verse, it's about the astronaut looking down he can't hear the arguments for or against anything. All he's looking down is he's saying, Geez, my family are down there in California and oh, I wish I was his birthday. I wish I was there. Or, you know, the, the Russian astronaut that's there is thinking, oh, my God, I wish I was back there. And this is a lovely time of the year in Russia. And they don't hear any of the dross mm. or any of the very important arguments that are going on they just see the people they love they see the little blue ball they see the people we love and the voyager spacecraft that's up in space now 
there were two of them, by the way. And one of them was sacrificed in an orbit around one of the planets. I can't remember which. But the other one kept on out of our solar system. And Carl Sagan, the wonderful scientist and writer, it was his idea to put this thing called a golden record onto that one that kept going. Mm. And on it was voice clips from people all over the world, including his son, who was representing the children of the world and said, whatever he said, I, my name is whatever my name is. I'm representing the children of the earth and hello to everybody out there kind of thing. But one thing Carl Sagan did was he made the camera on that Voyager that kept going turn around and it took the last photograph of Earth from the edge of our solar system. Oh, wow. And all it was was a pinprick of blue, tiny, tiny. You could hardly see it. There had to be arrows to show. So that was the little blue ball in the song as well. And he was basically saying the same thing, you know, look at our beautiful place. It's so special and all the people on it that we love, you know. Mm. So anyway, <laughs> that's where the song came from. OK, we'll, we'll have a listen to it. So this is the final song that Mary has chosen for this week. This is the very beautiful Major Rift. Last light in the iron sky Dark news from the east Whole lot of bad vibes going around No think before we speak Everybody is an expert now Everybody's got something to say Going to sit here on the fence Not giving too much away Cause lots of people are bound to get hurt If everybody shoots from the hill
very lovely it is Can't hear the arguments For the feeling that it's all a Swiss Just sees the home that he longs for And the people that he loves down there Knows what's important It matters cause it's so Yeah, I wanted to get across. Well, it was all kind of modelled on this solo video that I did in November, which was just me up in this room. I made a little backdrop out of a scarf (laughs) and I pointed my phone at myself and I just sang and, and I wanted to give this feeling of like, as someone said, someone that described it on Facebook, they described it as creeping menace. (laughs) <laughs> where the song creeps and it's like this menacey thing and it's kind of there's like you know, what the hell is going on here and then it just kind of opens out then into something kind of funky and mm. and I love Martin Leahy's drumming and percussion on the track I think it's just super you know yeah. when it kicks in in the, in the in the in the break and the thing takes on a kind of a groove I mm. just I love what he did there you know yeah I also love the lyric and it's so true our life is better when we pull together. Yeah, and and funnily enough, which is absolutely true, we're better together than a, than pulling apart. And funnily enough, when I wrote that line, I had the O'Donovan brothers in my head. You know, the, the role yeah. is still... Pull like, a, pull like a... What is it they used to say again? Pull, pull like, like a dog. That's <laughs> I had that in my head when I wrote because I had a reference to Dodgy Leaky Boat Adrift. And I was thinking of the O'Donovans pulling together and trying to roll with a hole in the bottom of the boat, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, Greenshine, I mean, you've got some kind of celebrity fans as well, haven't you? Do we now? <laughs> yes, you do. Like Christy Moore is a big fan of you guys, isn't he? He is. You know, we kind of, Noel especially, goes back a long, long time with Christy. On an album years and years ago, I can't remember which one it was, he had a song called Billy Gray, which is a Norman Blake song. And he got that song from Noel. Noel used to do that. Well, he still does it, actually. I love it. It's a brilliant song. And he was doing it at a session in the Phoenix Bar in Cork years and years ago, long before I came to Cork. And Christy heard it and he said, listen, will you give me the words of that? And that's where Christy got the song. So that's how far back Noel goes with Christy. And then like roll on the years, We've met him a lot over the years, really. Yes, the second gig Ellie ever did, the actual official full gig, was with Christy and Declan Sinnott in the Triscoll for Vita Cortex. Oh, yeah, the Vita Vita Cortex. Cortex. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that benefit with Christy and Declan. And like we just we just go back an awful long way. And I would know his sister Anne. In County Clare, I, you know, I'm in contact with his nephew and on a personal level, I can't say that I have ever spent a huge amount of time talking to him, 
but I've met him loads and he's always very, very kind and very, very nice and, and gave us a super soundbite for our first ever album, which was fantastic and, and really did make people kind of open their ears when we sent it into radio stations. And I saw a quote from Christy. It won't do you any harm, you know. Mm. What's your plans for when the world gets better? What's Greenshine looking to do? Our plan for when the world gets better is for the whole family. So that's myself and Noel, the two gals and their two fellas to go away. And my mother as well, who lives with us here. We're going to go away, probably Galway. And we're going to book in to a hotel and we're going to go to a crap load of sessions mm. and we're going to have a lovely time and we're going to bring some ashes up there and we're going to sprinkle them into the clatter for my brother. And apart from that, I'm going to do as many quality gigs as I can. Mm. Optimistically, we've been asked by a couple of festivals to do festivals in September. I didn't go looking for anything. I did go looking for the Black Gate in Galway because uh, I love that venue. And he said, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if those are going to go ahead. You know, Clifton, League, Galway. I, I just don't know. And nobody knows. Yeah. But it's, it's nice to see optimism. Yeah. And as soon as we can, we're going to go out and we're going to play music for dead people. And that's basically my plan. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on and being part of the journey of foreplay. And as I always say, that when I go away now and, and listen to Greenshine songs, I'll now listen to them with a different ear because I have an idea of what the thinking is that's going into some of the songs. <laughs> magic beans, boy, magic beans. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's my pleasure entirely and thank you. And I hope there wasn't too much waffle there, but, you know, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Foreplay. If you're an artist or a band and you're interested in getting in touch, then you can do so in many different ways. You can email me at podcastforeplay at gmail.com, on Twitter at podcastforeplay, on Facebook at Foreplay Music Podcast and on Instagram at 4Play Music Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again, and we'll chat soon.